folks showed up and there was no power anywhere in this part of the block. And uh, just the way everyone pulled together. And uh, <clears throat> if they were, they, they, they've redone the show MacGyver, but I think they could have come here and they could have got some pointers on how to pull things out of the fire and uh, just really appreciated everything that everyone did last week. Uh, just a lot of outside-the-box thinking. And I also just wanted to thank Barry Rogers and Neil Walker for speaking over the last two weeks, just giving some really good messages. And I just want to encourage you, if you, if you weren't able to hear either of those talks, to go on our website and just and catch up on those. They were really good. I uh, just want to encourage you to do that. <clears throat> Today, we're going to be looking at uh, the idea of how do you grow in trusting God more in your life. How do you grow in trusting God more in your life? <clears throat> Excuse me. And as I've been thinking about this this topic, I've been looking at the watching the news, and I've been I've been noticing some things about the Boeing 737 Max 8. I don't know if any of you guys have been uh, following any of that, but you know I, I fly Southwest Airlines all the time, and they exclusively fly 737. So as soon as I heard that, my ears perked up. But uh, you know there was a. There was a crash uh, in Ethiopia last month, and then there's another crash of the same plane, the, the 737 MAX 8 uh, in Indonesia <clears throat> back in October, and there's a lot of similarities between those two crashes, and I don't know about you, but I have a real, I have kind of a, a consternation about flying anyway. You know, I'm just, uh, whenever I get on an airplane, I have to kind of do business with myself and, and uh, with God, and, and uh you know, just it'd be, it's kind of an interesting thing. I, I know, I think I've shared this with some of you before, but I remember one time flying into Las Vegas for work. Um, we're coming down and it was like really hot. It was an extremely hot day in Vegas and the turbulence, it was the worst turbulence I've ever been in my life. And that was back in the days when Southwest Airlines had seats that faced each other in the middle of the airplane. So you're like, you're kind of riding with six other people and, uh, and it was actually kind of fun there for a while till we hit that. And then this one lady, let's just say her threshold for handling turbulence was a little lower than the rest of ours. And, uh, and so she starts, she starts freaking out and I'm thinking, okay, Underwood, hold it together. Hold it together. You know, you don't want to be joining her. And, uh, and then she like loses it. I mean, she, she wasn't no longer thought we would die. She was convinced we would. <clears throat> and she just like freaking out. And I tell you, it just, it just rattled me. We actually landed okay. You can tell I'm here. Uh, <laughs> we landed okay. And, and, and I think she was okay once we'd been on the ground for about an hour. But, uh, but you know, just, there's just something about getting on an airplane anyway that's just kind of a, it's an environment where you really have a lot of trust going on. But, uh, you know, my, tr- my personal trust in Boeing 737 Max 8s have been eroding lately. Um, <laughs> And, uh, you know, they, they came, Boeing came out this last week, said there was a software error where, uh, it was, it was, the plane was actually taking over control of the plane. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, uh, it was forcing it to, to nosedive. It thought it was stalling. The plane thought it was climbing too steep and was losing lift and was, kept trying to correct and the pilots couldn't, couldn't get it to stop doing that. So, you know, uh, just, you know, first there was the one crash, the second crash. Then Southwest said, we're not gonna, we're not gonna ground into our planes. We're sure they're good. And I thought, are you sure? I mean, how sure are you? And then they, uh, and then they came out and said, well, they are going to ground their planes. I'm like, well, what did they know? You know, see, there's something else going on here. And then, then Boeing came out this last week with that announcement on their software. And, uh, I can tell you definitely my, my trust in Boeing 737 Max 8 is at an all time low. Now, I don't know what it would take 
for me to gain more trust. I, you know, I'm waiting. I'm willing to see what that would be. But uh, it's just one of those things where the the more you see something as less trustworthy, the less the less you can really trust it. But you know, as as we approach, we're approaching Easter right now. And each year as we approach Easter, I I usually I usually one of the things I just start stewing on and thinking about is just what Jesus did when he went to the cross and how he handled it, how he just just from his own personal uh, his own personal uh, I can't think of the word, but just uh, the way he was actually dealing with it emotionally himself. Like how did he do that? And there's a there's a verse that stands out to me each year that, that captures some of what it was that Jesus was doing that helped him through that time. And it's in First Peter. Uh, Peter talks about this, First Peter chapter 2. And Peter says, when, While being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. You know, <clears throat> as Jesus was going through that, and he was being reviled, and things were happening to him, he completely put his life in his father's hands. He completely entrusted his life to his father's hands. And one thing you see there is, it says he he just had this intimate relationship with his father. He knew that he judges righteously, that he does the right things. He knew he could trust God with his life. And then it says the, the word kept. He kept entrusting himself. I, uh, You know, when you go, I don't know about you, but <clears throat> my emotional swings can swing quite a bit sometimes when I'm dealing with something. And there might be a moment when I feel like, <clears throat> I feel like, you know what, uh, God, you're, I've asked you for help. I feel like you're helping me. And then like an hour later, I get hit with this wave of fear and I have to, I have to deal with it. And, uh, I think Jesus says he kept entrusting himself. It's because as he was going through that over and over again, he had to continue entrusting himself to God as he went through that horrible ordeal. So how do we, how do we connect to Jesus's example? And grow to trust God like he did. That's one of the things, one of the questions uh, this morning. You know, it's a lot easier when you have a wireless mic. I'll tell you that right now. Um, you know, especially when life, life is really complicated. You know, life is complicated. It's difficult. It's hard to figure out. It can be really confusing sometimes as you're just, you know, just trying to figure out what you, what you need to do at any given moment. What I want, I want us this morning to look at a couple of, we're going to look at a, a couple of movie clips. Um, from a movie called Paycheck. Now, if you don't remember that movie, that's because it wasn't that great of an action movie. So, uh, and, and there's nothing actually really very profound in this movie, so don't think that. But there are, there's, there's a, there's something in this movie that, that I think, uh, that kind of captures, uh, some of what, uh, we're talking about today. But it's basically about a guy who's trying to figure out the troubles that he's in and how to, how to really navigate those troubles. And so just kind of give a setup for this first clip we're going to watch. Uh, he's a, it's in the future and uh, it's Ben Affleck and he's a reverse engineer. So what it is is companies will come to him. They hire him to reverse engineer some technology that a competitor has and then make it better. And then they do, they erase his memory. This is the future part. They erase his memory so that he doesn't remember any of this. So he, he's not, he can't be legal, legally liable because no, he doesn't remember what he did. And so he comes, he, he, a guy comes to him and he says, I'm gonna, I got a big job for you. It's a three year job. It's gonna cost you three years of your life. You're, you're gonna forget three years. But I'm gonna give you a hundred million dollars. You'll be set for life. And so he, he stews on that and he decides he's gonna do it. One of his friends tells him, hey, don't do it. Don't trust this guy, but he does it. And 
it seems like an instant, but three years pass. And then he goes to the bank to pick up his $100 million. And he goes in there, and the lady says, well, sir, don't you remember you were in here last week? He goes, actually, I don't remember. And she said, you forfeited all of your shares, and your money is gone. He goes, what? And he says, but you did leave yourself this big envelope, the middle envelope of 20 items, and uh, these are yours. And so he's looking, he opens it up. There's like little things in there like hairspray and uh, a bus pass and all kinds of miscellaneous things. And he goes, you're telling me that I gave up $100 million and I just was giving myself this? That doesn't make any sense. And so then he, he walks out of the room. He's trying to figure this out. And he gets, by the way, you're going to hear the entire movie. No, no, uh, we're almost done. Uh, so he, he walks out. The FBI snatches him. They kidnap him. And they're going to, they're, they're trying to interrogate him. He doesn't remember anything. So they put him in this big machine to extract his memories. And while they're doing that, one of the FBI guys reaches in this manila envelope and grabs out a cigarette lighter, lights a cigarette. And, it, and as he does that, the, it goes up and it sets off this smoke alarm type system and actually shuts down all the power in the building they're in. And it puts this fog suppression, this uh, fire suppression fog in the room. His, with the thing that was holding him comes loose. Nobody can see what's going on. And he jumps out of his chair. He grabs this envelope and some glasses fall out of it. Puts these glasses on and he can now see in the dark and no one else can. And so he walks, he just walks right out. And as he gets out, these guys start chasing him. Some other guys shooting at him, trying to kill him. And so he runs, he gets on this bus. And he, he remembers, well, there was something in the bag. He reaches in this envelope. He pulls out this bus pass, slides it through, gets on the bus. And he gets away from these guys. And so this, we're, this, we're watching this clip. He goes to this hotel in this not-so-good part of town just to get away from everything. And he's trying to figure out what in the world he's looking at in this envelope. So let's take a look at this clip. you will miss the riches below. Yeah, I'm already missing my riches. 
sent these items? You did. That's you right here. See? 20 items. These are patent applications. Look whose signature is on every one of those documents. A mistake has been made here. I'm not a traitor. Decker died. Rethard can claim he knows nothing about Decker or where the design came from. You have to believe me. I don't remember what I did for the past three years. Michael. Michael. You're done. Well, that's a pretty thrilling clip. Um, you know, uh, he was just trying to figure all this out. You know, he's trying to figure out what in the world he's supposed to do with all these items. And he was really, he was really, you know, he didn't really know what he could trust and what he was, and he didn't really understand the things that he was convinced of. Like, he had thought that this was a great deal to, you know, to get this hundred million dollars. But really, he was wrong. It was actually not a good idea. And uh, he found out everything was different after three years. And he's, so he's left just trying to figure out how all these pieces fit together. Uh, you know, the things, the things that uh, we're convinced about in life are the things that we believe can really be trusted. And he, he kind of lost that. That kind of got dropped out from underneath, the, underneath him. And we, we, you know, we really can't trust something that we're not convinced about. And we're really convinced that it's trustworthy. So, you know, that, and that's really a very important thing because the results and outcomes. Sorry, guys, I mean, my notes are going crazy here. Uh, the results and outcomes in our lives are really determined by the way we live and the things we decide on. And the way we live and the things we decide to do are really based on the things we're convinced of. So what we're convinced of really matters because it leads directly to the outcomes that we're going to have. And the, the problem is is that when what we're convinced of turns out to be wrong, it really leads to bad outcomes. It leads to hard things. Because reality, the, you know, the, the way the world really works is just really unyielding. It really, it really does work a certain way. Now, another movie that I really, I really enjoy is the movie Groundhog Day. And uh, you just got to like Bill Murray. But... You know, the guy gets a chance to live the same day over and over and over again. And at the beginning, he just really messes up, and he has a lot of hardship that comes out of that. But through the course of the movie, he actually began, he, by living it over and over again, he actually lives a perfect day. And he's able to really, uh, really make things happen. And wouldn't it be great if you could do that? I mean, honestly, it would be great if you could just make a decision, live it out of ways, and then go, you know what, that did not go well at all. Let me just rewind. You know, in that movie, you know, I got you, babe. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll go back and we'll, the music will start again and we'll start this day again, but that's just not the way it works. Um, the reality is, is that we have to live frontwards. We actually have, we live frontwards through our lives and so we make decisions and we end up somewhere. And then wherever we go from there, we have to start from where we were, where we are. And you keep, that's how we go through life. And so it's really important that we get the best information, the things that we can really trust in up front. And that does create really a stressful, high-stakes environment that, that we really live in. And the question is, you know, how do you figure all this out? How do you figure out your life and the way you really need to uh, really live your life and handle the things that are, that are coming at you? So I want to go back to – we'll go back to paycheck. I don't want you guys hanging too much. So just a little, just a little bit more on uh, – with this uh, movie clip. We're going to look at – he calls up his friend, and he wants to talk to his friend. 
And he just says, hey, can you help me figure this out? So they're sitting there and they're talking about what's going on. They're trying to figure this out. Let's take a look at this. Memories that made it through the washing, they got stirred up and the feds went into your head. Why would I have these things? Explain this. I sent myself this junk instead of the money. Oh, brother. I don't know. But that's not the question you should be asking yourself. No? No, the question that you should be asking yourself is, why did you give up all that money? That's the most bizarre part of this whole thing. Ninety million dollars. Nobody changes that much in three years. <laughs> okay, all right, buddy. I want to figure out what you built. All right, let's work backwards. They told me that I was working on a design by someone named Decker. Decker? Yeah. William Decker? I so. What I heard was he was working on something level five for the feds when they came in one day and they just shut him down. What was it? Consensus was a laser. Why was that? What? Because Decker's drawings called for a mirror and a lens. And the only thing that uses those is a laser. Or some kind of satellite camera. Something from far. An optics expertise. The lens required perfect optics. Uh, the mirror is a neutrino coded, so the capital outlay is huge. 37. I mean, word was the thing was going to cost 40. $500 And the bonus number is. 22. Who the hell is going to spend $500 billion just to see something? <laughs> what? There's no way I get out of that extraction room without the cigarettes and the glasses. I would have never gotten on that bus without the bus ticket. If I didn't have the diamond ring, I wouldn't have followed that kid to Reddy Grant. Right. I gave up that money just to make sure that I would pay attention to these items. Why? Because I know what you'd spend $500 billion to see. The future. If you selected five of the numbers and the bonus number, you're a second. <laughs> now that would be handy. <laughs> I could, I could stand a little bit of that. Uh, you know, it's, you watch the beginning of that clip, and he's just completely beside himself. He doesn't know what to do. But by the end of the clip, he has hope. And he has hope. And the reason is he just had a change in perspective. And that change, that perspective shift that he had was tied to the fact that he realized that what he'd been working on is that he was building a machine that could see the future. And so what he had done is he had actually put all these things in this envelope because he, and there's more to the movie. You guys can watch this movie anytime you want. Uh, but he, uh, he realized that some guys were after him trying to kill him. And that he realized that he had actually looked at the future and he provided himself everything he needed in the envelope that to be used at the time he needed it so that he could actually get, get past the danger. So he realized, where did his hope come from? He realized that there was someone who cared about him who really wanted to help. It happened to be himself in this movie, but <laughs> he cared a lot about him. But, you know, he realized there was someone who cared about him and who really wanted to help. And then there was a, and that that person really knew what the future held. That person really knew what the future held. And that that person had provided what he needed for every hard circumstance 
that he was encountering. He knew that this that, that person actually had given him what he needed. And so as the movie goes on, he keeps pulling the items out of the envelope when he's needed. And he, he begins to be so convinced of this that he begins to take some major risks uh, towards the end of the show. In fact, it's, it's actually not a terrible action movie. It's actually kind of fun to watch, so you may want to rent it. Uh, I hope that gets some royalties or something by pointing you towards it. But, uh, but you know, how, you know, also, as I was thinking of this clip, I thought of uh, the Apostle Paul's life and just how he, he took big risks and he was very effective in the kingdom. And he suffered many things for the gospel. He just, you know, he was imprisoned. He, uh, he was, one time he says, I was beaten without, times without number. He, he suffered for the gospel. He had a lot of great successes in the gospel, with the gospel and really had, really impacted people's lives. God really used him. I want to look at what he said in 2 Timothy, uh, chapter 1. Paul said, For this reason I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. He said, I know whom I have believed. Paul had an intimate relationship with God and he, and, and with Jesus. He just really, he knew who God was and he was growing in that. And then he was convinced that he could really entrust his life to him. And that's what he did. And he had, he'd really gotten to know God and get to know that God really cared for him. And he was convinced that God knew the, what the future held. And he was convinced that God was orchestrating the things he was facing. And he was convinced that God would provide him what he needed in the circumstances he was facing as he faced them. That, that's a snapshot of, of what Paul was saying there. So how do you grow? How do you grow in developing a trusting relationship with God? Uh, like Paul. Um, I'd like to, I'd like to spend a little time with Isaiah this morning, uh, just to, just to look at that, that topic a little bit. And Isaiah chapter 30, we're, I want to look at what does trust look like and also how do we grow in it? So Isaiah chapter 30 verse 15, it's a God quote and he says, for the Lord, for the thus said the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel has said, in repentance and rest you'll be saved and quietness and trust is your strength. You know, repentance means returning. It means going from your way, going back to God's way. And so really what, I think this, this verse really paints a picture of really what trust looks like. I think it looks like this. You change your approach to specific situations that you're facing to get in line with what God says. You change your approach to specific situations to, to get it in line with what God says. And then you, you rest in Him because he cares for you. You become more and more convinced of that over time, and you re- can really rest in him because he cares for you. And then every time you do that, more and more quietness comes into your heart. And it actually that's actually what trust looks like, is just a, a quiet confidence in, uh, in God. And what, what God says is that quietness and trust is your strength. I really think that that's, that's a real picture of what resilience looks like. You know, being able to handle life as it comes. Resilience is, is a word you hear a lot in, in business world these days, is how to become more and more resilient. Really, that's, that's what resilience looks like as well, just trusting God. So how do you grow in that? I want to, just a couple verses later, God says this in, uh, or uh, Isaiah says this about God in uh, verse 19. He says, I'm in verse 18. 
It says, therefore, the Lord longs to be gracious to you, and therefore he waits on high to have compassion on you. For the God, for the Lord is a God of justice. How blessed are all those who long for him. You know, God, God really, really cares about us and he really longs to actually be involved in our lives and to really help us. <clears throat> but it says he, he waits on high to have compassion on us. I remember one time, one of the first times I was reading through this passage, I remember just thinking, what's he waiting for? I'm ready. You just, uh, lay it on me. And, I had that question one day, and I read down just a little further, a couple of, in the next verse. Uh, I want to unpack this a little bit for the rest of the time we're talking this morning. But in Isaiah 19, 30, 19 through 21, he says, He will be surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. When he hears it, he will answer you. Although the Lord has given you bread of privation and waters of oppression, he, your teacher, will no longer hide himself. But your eyes will behold your teacher, and your ears will hear a word behind you. This is the way. Walk in it. Whenever you turn from the right or to the left. You know, this Isaiah is speaking to a group of people. You'll see earlier in, in, the, in chapter 30, the people that just had stubbornly refused to do what God said. And what he's saying is that when you come to the end of that, and you just surrender to God and you say, God, I want to, I need your help. He's saying that cry of surrender is really what is needed for God to really invade our lives. In fact, you know, I am a, I am a flood control engineer. Uh, and so I hear this verse and I think of, you know, the, you think of a, of a huge flood plain with a, with a lot, with the water coming up. We have a lot of floods happen in the Midwest this last, uh, rainy season. But you have all this water that's around everything. And I think God's grace and his compassion are like, are like that big body of water all surrounding us. But what we tend to do, what's easy for us to do is to build walls. We build walls to kind of keep God out. Those walls could be things that we're convinced of that are wrong. Uh, they could be, uh, just strong desires to live the way we want to live and do what we want to do. They're just, they're just walls that keep God's influence from our lives. And the cry that Isaiah is talking about, that cry of surrender, what it does is it breaks down those walls. It's, you break down those walls when you just say, God, I need you. And the walls come down, and what happens is God's grace and his compassion just flood our lives. They just flood our lives, and God becomes our teacher and begins to really show us how life really works. It's, it's what he really wants to do, and that provides a way for him really to do that. And so we really want to surrender to God in his ways to really grow in trust. And then the second thing that I would pull out of this is just to invite God into our everyday life. Just, you know, we're dealing with something. And as you're dealing with things, just to, to invite God right into that, the thing you're dealing with. I don't know about you, but my, I have a tendency, as I go through something hard, I just try to handle it on my own. I just try to deal with it on my own. And, and then there comes a point in time when I realize, I need help. I need to ask God to help me here. And... Just remember to do that much more often. Just really, just ask God for the things you're facing to really help you out. Uh, I, Psalm 50:15. It's a God quote again, and it says, "Call upon me in the day of trouble; I shall rescue you, and you will honor me." You know, there were. Uh, I was thinking. I was just thinking through a couple of instances of of just times when I I tried to handle something, things someone was really rattling in my cage, and then I finally asked God for help. One of those. That came to my mind was uh, just a jury duty that I had. I got this summons for jury duty, 
Now, it was at a time when I was still working part-time as a staff member at USC Christian Challenge, and I was part of a team that was planning and uh, planning the spring break trip, which is like a big deal with them. The spring break trips are just, they're amazing, and they're so helpful. God has really used those in my life. And we're planning this trip, and I was, you know, a big part of, of planning this. And so I, it was about, spring break was about four weeks away. I got this jury summons. I go into the, to the jury place. Uh, they call it the courthouse. Um, so I, I go there and, you know, everybody's going, it's a, it's a fun place to be. No one wants to be there. Everyone's in a bad mood. You're like, you try to talk to people and you go, oh, well, okay, I'll be quiet over here too. Um, but I'm in there and they come through and I'm like one of the first guys called. Well, it was probably, it might have been for a couple hours, but I got, I got, they called this big long list of names and Underwood, you know, Paul Underwood was on it. <clears throat> and so I thought, oh boy, I was hoping I would just kind of miss the call. But they said, this is going to be a two week trial. So we need to know if you can handle a two week trial. And I thought, boy, could, if there was some way I could say I can't do a two week trial. Problem was it was four weeks until the spring break trip. So that wasn't going to be a problem. And I work for the federal government, which pays you to go to jury duty. And so it's unlimited. It's just, it's just one of those things like I actually had no reason whatsoever. So I had to, I can do it. And so they pulled this big crowd of people into the courtroom. As we're in the courtroom, first thing that happens, they go, all right, hey, we want to let you guys know it's a two week trial or it's estimated to be a two week trial, but there's going to be a blackout period for two weeks in the courthouse. So the duration is probably going to be about five weeks. And I thought, whoa, wait a minute. That's not what we were saying outside. And But once you get in that room, there's no way out of that room hmm? unless the judge tells you you can get out of that room. So I'm in that room, and uh, the judge knew there was going to be a lot of uh, uproar. And he goes, I want everyone to walk out of here and line up in the big hallway. And then you come in one at a time and talk to me and tell me why you can't do it, which obviously just trying to weed us out, hmm? the weak, the weak among us. And so... We, 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 I got back in the line. I'm quite a, I'm way back in the line. And I was just, I was just thinking about, man, I just not, I felt planned this thing and now I'm not going to be able to go to the spring break. It just, I'm going to be letting people down. There was just a lot of things that were really weighing on me. And, uh, I was really struggling with it. People were coming out. You know, people come out, their heads down. No, I got to come back. I got to come back. It's like nobody, everybody was coming out with, I got to come back. I got to come back. And then, so you're like, you're waiting in this line and then, one lady came out and she was smiling. And they're like, do you have to come back? Nope. Why not? Well, I'm a nurse and I have patients. Everyone's, I wish I had studied nursing. You know, everybody's, <laughs> everybody's wanting to be a nurse at that point. <laughs> and so anyway, so then, you know, you're getting closer. And then it dawned on me, you know, I, I'd been feeling all this angst and, and I realized, no, God, I just need to ask for your help. And there's nothing in the way, you know, I thought of Proverbs 21.1. The king's hand is like uh, is like water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. And so I, I thought of that verse, and I thought, you know, God, I need to ask you for help. And I just asked him, God, would you give me favor in this man's eyes? And just, you know, I'm going to stand up there, and I'm going to – I get paid to be here. I, I just, I'm just not sure how this – I'm going to be able to do this. So I, I go into the – it's my turn to go in. I walk in, and he goes, Mr. Underwood, I've been waiting to talk to you. <laughs> I said, oh, good. And he goes, uh, I see here you have unlimited days and you're paid to be here. I says, I just got to hear your story. I said, well, 
Actually, you know what? I, and I just explained to him I was, I was part of a student ministry at USC, been planning this trip. And I said, you know, when we're in the waiting room, they said two-week trial, and I knew I could handle that. But now five weeks is going to cause an issue. And anyway, I just wanted to see if I could uh, if I could be relieved from this. And it just got deadly quiet. You know, the legal team on both sides are there. The judge is looking at me, and then he, he looks down, just quiet. And then he said, uh, "All right, Mr. Underwood, I'm going to let I'm going to let you uh, be released. However." I want you to go back to that jury room and you are to sit there till that you close up and to make sure you get into another jury today. And I said, that is fine with me. Thank you. Thank you. And so I walk out of there and I walk down the hall. I get into the, I get there and, uh, you know, it just, uh, as I, as I got there, the lady goes, you know, actually there's not very many going to happen today. I can send you home right now. I said, no, <laughs> he told me to be here. Uh, and she actually called the courthouse and they got me released. And about 20 minutes later, I was walking out the door and I wasn't even, I, it was like I never went to jury duty. So just, you know, that was something that just really, uh, that really marked me. And just, just, just for me, just helped me know that God really cared about where I was at. He cared about what concerned me and that I could go to him and ask him for help. And then the third thing that I'd like to pull out, the, you know, surrender to him, surrender to him, invite God into your everyday life and then really follow through with his instruction, follow through with his instruction. Um, in the interest of time, I'm gonna, I was gonna tell a story, but I think I'll, I'll probably hold off on that story. Um, but, you know, just taking in God's, His instruction and really putting it into practice. Similar to, like, call upon me in the day of trouble, I shall rescue you and you will honor me. Just put those things into practice, and that's really the way life, life really works. You know, uh, as you work through that cycle, as you work through that cycle of surrender, inviting God into your life, what you're really facing, and listening to him and following through with what he says, you become more and more convinced that God really designed reality and he knows how it works, and that he's really orchestrating the events of your life, and that he cares very much for you, and that his desire is really to help you, and his desire is also that you just have well-being in your life uh, by listening to him and following through with what he says. So the more you're convinced of that, the more you become the kind of person who can really trust God. So it's something that builds over time. You become more and more convinced over time, and you begin to be the kind of person who can actually put their trust in God more and more. I'd like to end with just a just a picture of uh, of what of how a picture that David painted of what this looks like. It's in Psalm 28:7. It just says, "The Lord is my strength and my shield; my heart trusts in Him, and I am helped." Therefore, my heart exults, and with my song I shall thank him. It's just a picture. It's a picture of a life satisfied in God, a life that really trusts in God, and how you work hand in hand with him. So with that, I'd like to ask the band to go ahead and come back up and go through just a few next steps. And now it would be a great time to finish filling out your connection card, if you haven't finished that, uh, and throw that in the offering bucket when it comes by. You know, maybe for you today, maybe just the next step is just inviting God into something you're really facing right now. Maybe you've been handling it on your own. Just invite God into that. And then to, maybe for you just listening to something he says, get into the scriptures and, and ask God to really share with you something he wants you to know and wants you to, to follow through on. And maybe there's something you've been resisting. Maybe there's some a point of surrender that you just need to surrender and go God's way. So let me pray for us, and uh, we'll get back to service.
Dear God, Father, just thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time. And I pray, God, that you would help each one of us just to become more and more the kind of people that can trust you by really walking with you and seeing how you really care about us. In Jesus' name, amen.